Yeah. And I think it's been an interesting time too. Like I'm really grateful for the podcast platform because so many people that have come my way right now, so much of it has been organic traffic from listening from when I've been on another podcast. And, you know, basically we never get more than a few minutes in usually before getting an opportunity to tell that story. So they're getting their first kind of connection with me has often been from that, from understanding that. And so that's been a wonderful thing. Podcast Junkies, episode 236. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Newcomers, this is the one, the one you've been looking for, the show where we seek out interesting voices in podcasting, get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows and whatever else is on their mind, like sleep. Last week, in case you missed it, we had a great conversation with Brad Hart, host of Make More Marbles. Brad is an ultra-accomplished entrepreneur. He was a former hedge fund manager, and he really understands what it takes to get a business going. He also runs a program to help you understand how to build your own mastermind. He's the author of a book called The 8-Minute Mastermind. So we dive into all those topics. Really, really helpful for business owners, entrepreneurs. Make sure you check that out, episode 236. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right, and the link will be in the show notes as well. This week, we have the pleasure of speaking with Molly McLaughlin. Molly has been a friend, a student of mine, and now she gets to be the guest du jour for Podcast Junkies. She's the host of Sleep is a Skill. She's an entrepreneur, a writer, and she joins the show to discuss her experience with sleep optimization through technology, accountability, and behavioral change. The Sleep is a Skill podcast is a show that exists to transform the conversation around sleep and shift the paradigm of wellness to make sleep the number one focus in the journey towards great health. Lots of lessons here that we can learn from, including details on how she launched a successful newsletter, the podcast, and the best practices that you, specifically you listening now, can follow to optimize your own sleep patterns and habits. Molly's been a guest on multiple podcasts and she shares how she's applied that to her own show, what she's learned. Of course, I have to find out how she originally got into sleep optimization. And she lists some common issues people have with their sleep and provides strategies she utilizes with her clients. She reminds us how much our environment impacts our sleep and what we can do about it. And we talk about her newsletter, Molly's Monday Obsessions. So lots to cover here, especially around the topic of health and sleep and really, really important stuff. And it's always fun when I get to powwow with Molly. As always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 236. If you are enjoying this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcastjunkies. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, let's enjoy my conversation with Molly and learn about sleep. So Molly McLaughlin, host of Sleep is a Skill. Finally, we get the chance to chat on Podcast Junkies. Yes, finally. I'm so happy. <laughs> I know this, this is a long time coming for us and this is going to be great. Very excited. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> so we have to give a shout out to Tanya. Is it Tanya? Who introduced us? Tanya. Yeah, I think it was Tanya. She yeah, is awesome. Yeah. Tanya Alvarez, founder of um, Owners Up, really just 
such a champion for entrepreneurs and such an ultimate connector. So I'm very happy and grateful for that. And so what were you working on at the time? I guess, how did you get connected with her? Because I think you were active on LinkedIn, right? Yes. So I've known Tanya for quite some time. She created her company that helps people to kind of create their own small mastermind groups around as primarily solo entrepreneurs. And yeah. so I've known her for years in that capacity and have utilized her services at different points. And then just, you know, I'm friendly as well with her too, and really a supporter of what she's up to. And I think it was around when I was doing a video challenge to get out there, you know, more regularly and was getting onto LinkedIn more than it hadn't been a platform for me as much prior to that. And then certainly it was on my radar getting out my new podcast. And, you know, so at the time it was that sense of the launch process and yeah. how to how to go through all those stages. So really being connected with you was really helpful to kind of demystify all that, which was incredible. So there's two phases, one when you first hear about podcasts, and, and then when you think that this is something that's going to be a platform for you to start sharing your story. So talk about both of those. Yeah, so I've always been very intrigued with the medium and definitely a podcast connoisseur myself and had gotten so much benefit from it. But you're, you're so correct that the transition from, you know, kind of observing or taking in to creating and producing is a whole other thing entirely. So it had kind of been amusing for me from the year prior, kind of amusing with this idea, and then really went deep on knowing that I was going to do this launch. It was something I was taking on. I felt like it was a great medium to share information around sleep optimization, to go deeper on certain topics with different experts. And but then it was all of those kind of layered questions around equipment production. How do you get on Apple and, you know, all the things that come up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how much did you think you knew versus what you discovered as you were just kind of going down that process of setting one up? Yeah, so it was, it's really an interesting, like I describe it in kind of a funny way of, truthfully, it was either something where I, if looking back on it, as I speak with other people that are deciding if they want to become, go into the podcast arena, creating their own podcast, I'll say one, um, you know, maybe it was more work than I realized, <laughs> but on the other hand, so there is that, you know, I don't know if I would have been so kind of gung ho and kind of the naivete element of it, if I had known all of, you know, what the steps were, but at the very same time, one of the things that I think I've found is that if you can just get through that hump of the initial kind of setup, then it gets to actually, my experience is be a really enjoyable thing for you get to go deep and have those like conversations with people that you really want to, uh, you know, for, by your own design, have those conversations anyway. So then it just becomes a matter of getting to talk with great people and getting to speak with great people. And once you have that setup, then it becomes much more easy to execute. And that's not to say that I know there's so many other things you can layer in to optimize yeah. down the road, but the nuts and the bolts of it, I think that once you put in that effort for the, then it can be more automated. So how long were you covering the topic of sleep optimization prior to s starting the podcast? 
Yeah, well, for a little background on, you know, uh, as far as what this all looks like is, you know, I have a company called Sleep is a Skill that helps people optimize sleep through technology, accountability, and behavioral change. So those are three key intersections around sleep. And so I created this to solve my own problem around my sleep and created it back at the end of 2017. And I'd worked in online course creation previous to that with my boyfriend who has created, you know, over a decade in, you know, kind of uh, leading different courses around behavioral change. So in that area, then got to parlay that over into sleep. So was able to scale faster than certainly I would have been able to on my own without having that kind of background. Yeah. But then bringing in this podcast element of things has really made the difference to really step into that authority. And then also to understand one of the things that I really got out of working with you too, was understanding what it would take to be a great podcast guest as well. And so since the beginning of this year, I've been guested on over 60 podcasts and it's been crazy. I've learned so much, um, but so many of the things that you helped me, like I know that I've been able to help stand out by sending over immediately, you know, my document and I have 9 million things outlined in there so that people, there's really very few questions that they might have that are not answered in that one one document and then and just some of the the coaching that I'd gotten through what your expertise in that area was really made a difference you know to bring that to other you know podcast spaces in general but then also to be a solid podcast host on you know my end and certainly uh, it's like episode one I kind of cringe at you know there's like so many things that I've learned along the way but you know it's been a cool ride can you talk about it's interesting because that idea of respecting and understanding both sides of the conversation, both as a guest and as a host, and what you were learning as you were being guests on other podcasts, sometimes it's like what the other host is, is or is not doing. You're just like, oh, I don't want to be doing that on my show, or oh, I want to do that on my show. Were, were there some of those ahas as you were going through that process? Yes. Oh my goodness. It's been so cool because you get to see one, there's so many stages to the process of bringing a guest on and that can look very different for different people. So for some people, there's these elaborate, you're signing contracts, you are going through these long forms, you know, there's just a lot of pomp and circumstance on the lead up. They're sending over their proposed questions. Do you have any edits? It just, there's a lot, a lot of prep for some people. I've also been kind of, it's it's a cool opportunity for people to impress you and when they stand out in that process. So for instance, just recently, I was on a podcast that it was one of the first times that I'd gotten the host sent, you know, so you kind of got like a funnel process where then he would send a little video. And of course, that part was all automated. And then a couple of emails that should prepare you to be a good guest and all of that. But then at the end, as the thank you, you got a personal video and with like a little whiteboard and it would say your name like spelled and you know, the whole thing. And then it was like, oh, we had such a great conversation and like specific things after the fact. So, you know, it can set you up nicely to kind of impress people by your ability to go above and beyond. And then there are some that are just so casual and 
It's just easy breezy, you know, okay, here's the link, sign up. And then, which I actually really enjoy too, when people are able to streamline that process, and then there's not a lot of those extra emails back and forth, well, how's Friday, how's Tuesday, all of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, and so I say all that, you know, because obviously these are small topics, but it can just kind of create in your mind the connection with the person and how they do things, you know, how systematized are they, um, and how easy do they make it for the guest. And so I've been by doing some of those, I've been able to help ensure like I did one thing that you had, were so helpful to be like, what? <laughs> and I first was doing this and kind of doing like the practice. I, I can't even believe I did this because it's so nuts. My podcast, the slot time was an hour and a half, which is pretty wild, That's you know, wild, yeah. Yeah, it's very long. And now if I would see people doing that, I'd be like, really? Like, you know, are you Joe Rogan or something? <laughs> so, so, you know, to see then my own errors along the way and then hopefully quickly correct those and then to streamline and really help to make it just a seamless experience for everyone, help them to feel comfortable. That's the other thing I've noticed is that in the beginning of podcasts, many people are pretty good at just like setting the stage of just making you feel comfortable and, you know, kind of no surprises. And then it seems to help with the richness of the conversation. And then even just the end, you know, the ability to then just kind of have once, you know, we're done recording that kind of the debrief of how that went and just kind of complete that whole conversation as well. So I think it's, it. I'm learning that it really is a bit of an art form for for people that you can continue to improve on, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah, it's, I think I'm conscious of when I hear interview-based shows, like how the interviewers, what types of questions they're asking and you know how they're engaging with their guests and if they're doing follow-ups. And then it's funny because when I'm a guest on someone else's show, I try to just stay in the, uh, I guess, in the guest seat. But in this, but if you're a host, you want to feel like you want to ask a question sometimes. <laughs> and then that host like impulse kicks in sometimes. I wonder if that, that, that's happened to you as well. Yes, yes, it's very true. And that's actually something I'm dis discovering too is one, what I want my host role to be because how much kind of do I want to have myself in the conversation or, you know, or kind of shining the light on the person, but at the same time, like, you know, does that diminish the quality of the conversation? I don't know. So I'm really playing with that. And and then the same with when you're on someone else's show too, uh, like how much do you kind of drive a little or sit in the passenger, passenger seat more and then kind of find that fine line? Yeah. So you touched on it in, as you were describing uh, the origin story of the of the the topic, but can you talk a little bit about what was happening for you personally and and how this became something that you you realized you wanted to dig into and 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 figure out why that was important? Oh, absolutely. So for me, the creation of this company again was to solve my own problem, which how it had looked was really there's kind of a before, during, and an after to this story. So basically before, you know, how I used to relate to my sleep was that I was a night owl, that I was a bad sleeper, that I was a short sleeper. Oh, maybe I'm one of those people that has that gene, you know, like all oh, of those yeah. sort of musings around what it was around my sleep, but largely from kind of a disempowered area. And just, it's just something that I don't think about too much. It's just kind of, it's that's happening. And as an entrepreneur, I can make my own hours. So whatever, I'm going to go to bed late. I'm, you know, I'm going to be righteous and kind of justified about it. And yet 
didn't notice when I was getting sick more regularly. I started getting more anxious with, you know, really burning the candle at both ends with the level of work that, you know, kind of living in the middle of Manhattan, going to bed pretty much as like the sun was rising at certain times, you know, just really <laughs> just this lifestyle and, you know, didn't kind of put the, the pieces of the puzzle together of what that was doing to my health until I went through my own period of insomnia, which was when we began actually traveling. We're kind of testing out, my boyfriend and I testing out this digital nomad lifestyle. And in the beginning of it, that's, you know, with the stress of then bringing the businesses on the road, it just really was this experience where the symptomology for me was then to go into the difficulties with my sleep. And it was literally months of very, it felt like one of the, the most difficult times in my life of feeling so disempowered and even just something so basic that you felt like shameful or like I was embarrassed about the fact that I couldn't get something so, you know, guaranteed for like kids and everyone yeah. to be able to do and yet I could do it. So the worst that I got was I went to the doctors in Croatia with the Google Translate and I'm like, I can't sleep, help. Like, and you know, they were like, oh, okay, jet lag. Yeah. Well, so here you go. And I leave with sleeping pills. Like that's what I, you know, their version in um, yeah. Croatia, but, and they didn't know what else to do with me. They couldn't speak the language. And so it was kind of just out and with no real plan. And it was concerning because I thought of myself, my identity was sort of shook because from that place, I, I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm healthy. I think I'm, I take supplements. I do all these things. And yet, you know, this idea that needing to take something external for how long, and it was just a real, it felt very much like no real power in how to make a difference with this. So yeah. on the plus side, it, you know, I'm pretty obsessive personality. And so really ch channeled that into this area. It was probably what got me to that place. But at the same time, it was able to spawn really going down the rabbit hole and understanding chronobiology, circadian rhythms, infradian rhythms, and a number of things that can make a real difference with sleep. So what resulted on the other side of that was really being able to both heal my sleep, but then take it to the next level so that I had never experienced of really optimized sleep. And the difference that that could make in just even my overall, you know, physical, uh, physiological health, but also psychological health, like less stress and just that ability to have everything kind of working count audibly and not have to actually think about it so much. So, but the process of that really changed my whole life. So that's where it began. And I started working organically with people, you know, kind of one-on-one small groups, and then it led to what is what we have now. That's so cool. And, and I think it's a problem that a lot of people have, and they don't acknowledge it. And, and it's almost something that they just think it's gonna, that's just the way it is for the rest of their lives. Like, yeah, my dad, like, has a problem sleeping, he's like 75. And he just, I, I've tried different things. I've told him about melatonin. And just all, he's, apparently, he's, he's, he said he's tried everything. And you know, I, obviously, I'm not there to diagnose him on a on a day to day basis. And it's obviously, as far as, as I'm sure you know, different case by case. But, you know, he gets up, he'll get up at like four and he just goes into the living room, watches TV for like an hour. And then he, you know, falls back asleep and stuff like that. Yes. So, and that's whoever's dealing with this times, you know, a, a million people, whatever it is. And it's different stages and to different extremities as, as well. Because, you know, I probably get six hours, I think. And I, I think for me, that's, I've always felt like that's normal, but I haven't looked at optimizing it. And I think part of it is also, I would think it's important to have your partner on board as well, because if you're living in the same house, yeah. you probably have to get your sleep patterns aligned. 
Absolutely. It's such a good point because it's a big source for many people of upset in relationships is if people are living kind of on two different schedules or purported chronotypes or what have you. And so it can be a real source of distress. And if we're able to bring that together and kind of have both partners on board, that can make a big difference for the applicability of it because it's so many behaviors that go into this. It was so many behaviors in the in the society and the way that we have things structured right now. So, and what I mean by that is that really prior to Edison, essentially, prior to the ability to have 24-hour days, this would have been kind of externally moderated so much more. So it would have been controlled by the rhythms of nature, so sunrise and sunset, and also the temperature change that that would have been as living in outdoor, you know, as outdoor creatures more regularly, then we would have had those two very powerful cues. Those are some of the most important cues from a circadian rhythm entrainment perspective and influencing our suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is our master clock in our brain directly connected to our eyes. So that's why the light portion of this is so powerful. So for so long, we would, you know, rise with the sun. And when the sun would be rising, the temperature would also go up. And so those two cues would automatically help with the uh, kind of regulation of hormonal production that can help serve us as diurnal creatures, meaning we're meant to be active during the day and at rest at night. And so, so many of us have kind of gotten off of that connection because we used to be so tethered to that was like the best productivity hack going because you knew you only had a few hours of sunlight to get your stuff done. And then once it sort of ended, it's kind of like game over. Maybe you later on in human history could make a bonfire later on in history. Maybe you could have light some candles if you'd often have to be more wealthy to have access to that. And, you know, so the ability to augment our days is really much more of a newer phenomenon, particularly to the levels that we're doing now. And so you see the impact and we've really lobbed off a big portion of our total sleep in modern years in such a short period of time that certainly from a Darwinian perspective, we haven't, you know, yet evolved to, to match that and to, to have that all work within our physiology and kind of optimal health. So obviously this is the this is a topic that I'm sure we could uh, really geek out on and we're going to come back and share with the audience ways on on they can, where they can learn more. But given, you know, the, the time that we do have, when you first engage with a client or someone that wants to work with you, you know, what are what are some of the first like basic questions you're asking people to figure out like where they stand because a lot of people that may be listening are trying to probably the first question they're asking is like well well i wonder what my sleep is compared to like you know what molly thinks is appropriate for for people so maybe just some high level basics of what people should be looking at in terms of their own sleep patterns and sleep environment Yeah, great question. So at Sleep is a Skill right now, we have every single person wearing an Aura ring. So spelled O-U-R-A, no affiliation with the company. They're just great. And, you know, it's right now as it stands, it's, you know, kind of one of the best on the market for what we're doing anyway. And so starting with that, then we're using some of the metrics there to get a kind of baseline of where that person is. And then particularly if they've had a little bit more longitudinal data. So if they've been tracking for quite some time, we can kind of see if there's been a stark deviation for them. And then also as it compares to other you know people in their age group. But so from there, we get a sense of kind of their baseline on a number of things. So it might be their total sleep, their wake up time, their bedtime, their sleep of kind of efficiency or the amount of times that they're waking 
up, you know, the quality of that sleep. Uh, we don't look too much at the sleep stages because those tend to notoriously be pretty poor trackings on these sleep trackers, unfortunately. So you will see a lot of people be like, oh, my deep sleep, my REM, you know, but unfortunately, those are not the most reliable. So we don't look at those very much, but they are pretty good at the knowing if you're awake or asleep. So it kind of creates this automated sleep diary because prior to this, the suggestion if you're looking to improve your sleep was to create a sleep diary manually. So this kind of takes that process away, but it also provides often a bit more level of nuance because many of us do get foggy about our sleep just from a facet of, well, I know I went in around X time and- Especially if you're doing some of the things where we advocate to kind of remove, you know, markers of time in your in your environment so that you don't really know what the time is, you're not staring at the clock all night, then it can actually be problematic to really get a real true sense. It might, for someone, it feels like I was awake for, you know, an hour and a half, but it might have only actually been 25 minutes or, you know, it doesn't, it's very subjective. And the aura is pretty accurate with all those, with capturing all those nuances of, of like sleep. So the wearables, the consumer tech wearables right now, none of them obviously are going to meet polysonogram standards. And even polysonogram is not infallible either. So is the polysonogram the ones where they're, you're actually getting wired up? Yes, exactly. So like in a sleep lab sort of thing, that's still for sure the gold standard and particularly because what we understand about sleep is so brain-based. So they're able to get a a better understanding. So some of the consumer grade sleep trackers include, you know, like the Dream, D-R-E-E-M that goes on your head. Philips has a headband too. There used to be Zio years back. So all of the head-based ones tend to be a bit more comparable as far as, so they're, again, still not a polysonogram, but some studies found them, you know, in the, the 70%, 80% range of accuracy for sleep stages, yeah. but they're still not there yet for usability for the average person on the average night. So the Aura Ring, the wearables, as far as on the on your wrist, like the Whoop Band, BioStrap, all of those guys tend to be pretty solid with the just knowing purely, are you awake or are you asleep? And then in addition to that, we can also kind of glean some information about health and well-being from some of these that will provide things like respiratory rate, HRV, so heart rate variability, heart rate throughout the night and the arc of that, as well as body temperature. And so even with that respiratory rate one, so the amount of breaths that you're having to take per minute have had different clients that it was kind of so out of the realm for them that the the numbers that it was enough to warrant them getting a sleep actual, you know, lab test. And then from there, they did see, oh, okay, I have sleep apnea, whether mild, moderate or severe. So it is kind of cool that, you know, we can get some information. Of course, you need to get the final sign off of what that is, the specifics. But if it is going off this kind of standard baseline, then you can make some assumptions. And but either way, it can be wonderful for helping with behavioral change. I mean, one of the easiest ones is just even seeing the impact, unfortunately, of like drinking at night, even just for many people, one or two drinks, period, that it will show up on, you know, their body temperature goes up, your respiratory rate goes up, your heart rate goes up, your HRV goes down, all of those things. So when you have that biofeedback every single day, it can really help to make a difference to change those things, you know, over, over the long term. And I think the misconception or, or the just the historical perspective has, has always been like, oh, I'm just going to have a drink before bed, like a glass of wine to like calm me down so that I can sleep better. But in fact, it's actually probably in the long term having the opposite effect and, and really affecting your sleep. 
Yes. Yeah. And it, and it tends like, you know, so it's not as if like people all got together and like came up with this weird theory because they're right. Like it can be helpful for sleep latency to your point. So the ability to fall asleep can actually expediate. So that part's nice. I mean, that was one of the things I really went to at my lowest points when I couldn't sleep. It's like, okay, well, maybe if I have a drink, maybe that will give me sleep. And unfortunately it can, it might be able to help with the getting to sleep, but the staying asleep, the quality of the sleep, the fragmentation of the sleep, all of those things. And then for days after you can often and see kind of an imprint on your heart rate variability. So some stats will point to being around four days that it can linger for some people, just the imprint of that. So it can take some time for us to kind of work that out. And so once we see that more and we become more committed to our health and well-being, then often we'll make some of those heart, you know, more challenging behavioral changes for many. Yeah, with my partner, we've recently done a gut cleanse with like Repairvite, and part of it was to actually not drink. And what I've noticed, what we've, what I've done actually, actually is, is I'm just keeping track on the Streaks app, and I, I think just yesterday I checked, I'm at day fifty, haven't had a drink. <laughs> Congratulations! So it's, yeah, it's been pretty crazy because naturally there's not a lot of social activities happening and as of this recording we're like early september in the in the midst of covid but it's interesting because that the longer you go the more you think about what it would take for actually for you to actually break the streak and it's not going to be like a just a, a, a beer or just a random glass of wine you almost have to make the event more special and so i i, yeah. I don't know where i stand and it's and i and i know you know because at the end of the day like it alcohol is in some way even on a micro level poisoning your system <laughs> you yes know, sure. with every, with every drink so it's been interesting to go through that experience and and to f- to work through like the cravings and the desire to say oh i'm a little stressed i just want a glass of wine and you know just but not doing it and then working through it and then and figuring out a way around it has, has been interesting Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it can be such a rewarding area for people to take on, you know, and and then of course, if we're trying to have alternate options, then suggesting for people things like dry farms, wines, you know, so we're kind of eliminating a lot of the extra sugar that's in those wines. So those can be like keto friendly and things of that nature. There's also Fitvine, you know, so a couple different tweaks in the event that we are going to be doing that. But really to your point, yeah, like kind of almost preemptively maybe being aware of what would be worthy of that. And then on the other side of that, then really maximizing recovery, you know, in the in the aftermath of that to help the body kind of process all of it with more regard than we might if we weren't as attuned to what it can do. What's a quick fix uh, that most people can do in their environment? As far as the environment, it's it's a really interesting one because I make the argument that the average person because um, our circadian rhythm exists on a spectrum of either weak to strong, that many of us are on the, kind of the weak side of the pers- of the spectrum. And a lot of that has to do with our environment. So coming from that context that, okay, so it's just a spectrum and then I can actually improve this. And from this concept that sleep really is a skill, then, you know, taking that skill element of it and bringing in the two things that we know make the biggest difference with what's known as circadian rhythm entrainment. And those two things are light and temperature. So, and within that world, then it's ensuring that during the day we're setting up our environment to get max amount of sunlight that we possibly can 
because we want the ratio to be really high so that the you have really bright, active days, your body temperature is up. And then on the other side of that ratio, we want once the sun sets to really shift over into darkness because melatonin is known as the hormone of darkness. So that once darkness is present, that's one of the most important cues for the body to create that. And if it doesn't get that cue, then it's not going to be creating to the level of melatonin production that we would desire. But also with that temperature, we're looking to lower our body temperature by about two to three degrees every night. And which might not sound like that much, but it really is pretty significant. And with that, you can do that both, you know, by the ambient temperature in your environment. So during the morning, you know, kind of shifting and turning your temperature up, but then at night, then turning it down, it's, you're kind of trying to mimic the environment that we would have had with that sunrise sunset we spoke about. And then the same applies with the light. So once the sun sets, moving over to blue blockers, but ensuring that the blue blockers are like either a amber or red base in the evening specifically so that we can cut more of the blue and green lights that are present. And then in alignment with that, then we want to bring about the rest of the environment. So shifting that over to ideally really turning down the lights totally and shifting over even just to like candles. But I know that can be a hard sell for some people. So if you're not willing to do that, then there are some other options. One, Himalayan salt lamps can be helpful because they kind of have like a light glow. But then also, if you want to get really biohackery, you can do kind of red lights. And then if you are still just a no to all of those things, then the last thing you could do could be incandescent lights, you know, kind of like Edison bulb lights. And all of those have presence of more red available in the spectrum. So all of that can help with having a little less impact on your hit of the suppression of melatonin production that come from normal lights. But at the same time, there's a lot of other things you can do to improve your space. I have a downloadable PDF too that can go through it. It's called the optimized bedroom. So there's like 18 strategic things, both low tech and high tech to make a difference. But the big goal with the bedroom is total darkness and kind of making it cave-like. So cool and dark and quiet. So from that place, what would that look like? So it might take a little bit of work on the on the first half, you know, just kind of doubling down, getting all the blackout shades that you need to get, yeah. covering up all the little glowing lights, all those things. It might be annoying in the beginning, but then once you step through that, then it's kind of done for yourself and then it's, you know, set it, forget it. I think people forget or take for granted the impact that even something like a small blinking light or even a light like on the, on the smoke alarm or these random lights that you're not aware of, but even there's light coming through your eyelids even when they're closed. And I think that's something people don't realize. Yeah. And part of this conversation, so, you know, I know I mentioned the master clock in our brains, the suprachiasmatic nucleus, but there's also all of these little clocks that are in virtually every cell of our body. Our skin contains photoreceptors. That's also kind of getting a sense of the environment and what needs to be happening during that time. And it's really incredible because we're thankful that we are so adaptable. You know, when we particularly feel this when we travel internationally and go from, say, New York to Hong Kong and need to go upside down on our, you know, schedule. So if we weren't able to adjust this, it would be pretty problematic for things like that. But we are, and it all comes from what cues we give to the body. So it gives you more responsibility about what you're exposing yourself to and what you aren't. 
Very interesting. Yeah, there's a lot to geek out on, and so we'll we'll have a we'll have you provide the link before we wrap up, so people can can download that resource because I'm sure it'll be pretty helpful, especially for folks that are just getting started. Because I'm sure there's they want to try some of the the easy wins, you know, before yes. you know getting <laughs> before geeking out Definitely. too much and spending and spending a lot of money on a bunch of tech. So I, I think it'll be helpful. So let's talk about the journey to the podcast, you know, because you were you're the author of a prolific newsletter. I will. Uh, let the listener yes. know. By the way, it's 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 a, most, one of the most jam packed newsletters, <laughs> and the fact that you're consistent with it on a regular basis. So we'll make sure that I imagine when people sign up for the PDF, they'll, they'll be subscribed to the newsletter. But how yes. much? I mean, and for the benefit of the listener, it's really like full of resources, and you can tell that you you're doing research on a on a regular basis, and you're you're kind of being a, a curator of what's the latest and greatest in the world of, of sleep, sleep tech, and, and, and sleep science. And so, you know, talk about the journey to kind of put start a, a newsletter like that and, and to keep it consistent. Oh, yes. Well, thank you for saying that, because it, it definitely, it has the name Molly's Monday Obsessions, all in the area of what I'm obsessing in around sleep and health and wellness. So that is great that that, that brand quality is spilling over into the content. So that's great. Yes, it's very yeah. obsessive. <laughs> and I really, really enjoy it because it allows me to go down the rabbit hole on some of these things that, you know, throughout the rest of the course of your week, you might be like, okay, can't indulge this, you know, you got to get stuff done and what have you, but it allows me to do one of my favorite things, which is just kind of going deep and just being curious, learning more, and also bringing in what has evolved over since the course of beginning this is now having more of a kind of community element of things. So now different people will respond back, oh, did you see this latest article? Send over an email with, you know, the podcast or some, you know, YouTube video or whatever. So a lot of it becomes also kind of curious created from the group too. So that's been a cool thing that's kind of evolved. And actually, this is another thing that I get to credit Tanya Alvarez with because she knew how much I could just go to town on sharing all of these resources and but didn't have the original system of doing that with a, you know, a newsletter, a regular kind of system. And so once I kind of gave my word around starting to do that, then it really, really helped because, and particularly since it's called Molly's Monday Obsessions, and I know that every Monday I have to yeah. um, bring that out there. And and it actually does become something that I really do look forward to. There's moments where I'm like, oh, geez, how am I going to write this? I have so much <laughs> stuff to do. Uh, yeah. But but largely, once I get into the thick of it, it can be a really fun thing because there's just so much information on this. And I really do feel very like mission-driven with this area because I can't believe how many things I didn't know about what can impact sleep, you know, even from the levels of food intake, things like understanding that the timing of our food actually impacts our circadian rhythm and our circadian rhythm health and our physical health. But that was something that I had no real clue about the fact that I was tending to, I thought I was doing great because I was intermittent fasting. And so I would skip breakfast, I would skip, you know, I wouldn't eat till way late, and I would stack most of my calories into the evening, and not realizing that that is actually was confusing the body because the that acts as another cue. It's something, you know, doctors can often do this hack when they have to work late, knowing that they can eat in the evenings, and then that will be one other cue to the circadian functionality that will have us stay up longer. So yeah. there's just so many things that we can do to help improve how we wake up the next day. And now I really just feel like I'm genuinely addicted to feeling good. So yeah, it's true. It's, 
it's really an incredible thing. And it's great to see other clients have that same experience, elements of personal power in that area. And then now moving into the podcast, talk a bit about you know, we talked a little bit in the beginning, you know, what you were learning and what you didn't know when you were getting started. So, you know, bring us up to speed of where you are now with the show and how you've matured and, and what has changed for you as the host of the show and, and even things like your interview skills and, and how you approach each guest differently than when you started. Yeah. So I definitely, a lot of the anxiety has dropped, so that's good. Um, you know, and depending on the person that was coming on in the beginning, then I might get more or less sort of, you know, overthinking it. So all of that has really helped subside. And then also just kind of having like a run of the show, like having it not be your first rodeo anymore and kind of, you know, stepping into, because I think in the beginning it felt like, what is this? Like I'm this host, quote unquote, <laughs> like an air quotes, you know, yeah, but yeah. then, you know, and then it, and then you do get to see, oh, I actually, because I had this person come on here, now I have a responsibility to, you know, just show up and let them know how it's going to go. So they don't have to have any question marks in the air. And then I think shifting over to that. And then for me, and I, I know different people do this really differently. Some people really have all their questions laid out beforehand. I do not do that, at least right now. Maybe that will shift. I have no idea. But right now, it's more of a kind of basic framework of, you know, introducing how they got into this area, why they're kind of showing like the, the passion around it, and then going a little bit deeper on their area of expertise. So starting at kind of like the basics for people that are brand new to this, and then for the people that might know a little bit more then being able to help go a little deeper, having that organic back and forth, and then ending, you know, with how, of course, we can learn more about them. And that's kind of been the flow as of right now. And I'll be curious to see if that does if I choose to kind of evolve that down the road or what have you. But right now it does seem to be have more workability to it than than previous when I might have like all these pre-prepared questions and we wouldn't even get to them and you know, all of that. So <laughs> Yeah, I think it's something every new podcaster thinks, you know, to have the questions and then realize they end up actually being a distraction because to your point, you know, like if you don't have the questions, then you're forced to pay more attention to the guest. You're forced to follow the thread of the conversation, watch, you know, the body language if, if it were on video like we are with yeah. the podcast right now. And similar to how you would in a conversation if you're having you know if you're speaking to the person at a bar or at a party or you know somewhere in a public place and you know when someone's not paying attention to you you know when someone's talking to you you know like looking over your shoulder like yes like, oh, when's this going to be over so i think as a, any good podcaster knows that they want to keep their guests engaged and they realize like if you if it is your show you know if there's a lull in the conversation i mean that's on you so you have to figure out a way you know to, to keep it going keep it engaging and then you know never forget that there's that third person in a room that's the listener yes very good point yeah and i think that's been the other thing that's gotten more kind of seamless is setting them up for so the setting up the guest in the beginning for like what the intention of this podcast is so i'll say you know oh well naturally since it's called the sleep is a skill podcast our intention is to ensure that we're leaving each person that's listening with some sort of practical kind of takeaways yeah. that they can ideally use tonight to help improve their sleep right so then because sometimes there might be different topics that whether it's sleep tech, but then also just kind of from a psychological perspective or habit change perspective, different experts in those different areas so that we continue to bring it back to, okay, we want them to leave with something take, you know, from a take home perspective with each episode. What has you excited 
as you start to think about the future of the show now that you've got you know you're 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 pretty grounded in terms of your skill your confidence as a podcast host what what are you thinking about in terms of how to grow the show or or how to make the show better or you know how to, you know what aspects of it do you think you can continue to improve on Oh yeah, a ton. I know that, you know, there's different, I'll listen to different podcasts and be like, oh, that's such a good idea, you know, and, <laughs> and I know you've had some awesome ideas that I still have yet to implement and I need to just certain things to make it personable, you know, whether it's kind of acknowledging person, people that just reviewed your podcast, which I thought was a great call out. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I just got to get that, get that in there, get that going. Uh, but also, you know, just really, cause I'm a big fan of different kind of out of the box innovation, different ways of doing things, even if it's, you know, not that revolutionary, but would be new to me of, you know, having them be able to text to things like that, to making it interactive immediately. I don't have those things currently. I also haven't even delved into some more of the different affiliate elements, sponsors, all of that sort of stuff. So, and what's exciting is that there's some of those things on the back burner, and then it would just be a kind of matter of bringing that all together. So I think that will be a cool next chapter. And then the other next chapter is establishing I don't know that I've fine-tuned as a host what, how much, like we were talking about this before, what percentage of interaction I'm having, because right now it is pretty over onto the other person, and how much like kind of dynamic conversation that I might want to be having, because, you know, and how do you deal with certain things where you're like, oh, that's so counter to what I've read, or like, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, do, yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like when things like it, it's not actually in alignment with you, what you might have um, held. Yeah. So how do you create that brand quality? Do I just kind of let them keep going with that? And then having the listener possibly learn something that maybe, you know, might be counterproductive for them? Or do I clarify with those things? You know, so it's an interesting... Yeah, it's interesting. And I, and I think it's one of those things that, uh, especially I had an early guest on that we had different political views and I kind of knew that going in, but I didn't want to like make the podcast the platform for us to just kind of have this you know back and forth of like just disagreeing with each other and we had a great conversation and i think there are aspects and and this is something with touchy subjects like politics obviously you can be disagree you can disagree without being disagreeable is what yes. how i like to put it but when you're dealing with stuff where there's opposing views you know from science and you know you can get down a you know, a rabbit hole of like what they believe in, why they believe in, and they'll pull out studies that, that'll match your studies. And so you could basically just go in circles. And I, I don't think the conversation is the point to do it. But what you could do is either at the beginning of the show or, or at the end saying, hey, there's a couple of points in here that are a little different than what I normally teach, but I thought it was helpful for you to get, you know, different viewpoints and, you you know, and, and do your homework. And as with all things, do your own homework and do your own research and come to your own conclusions. But this is what I believe about the topic. And this is why I, I, I base it. And I'll provide some additional links in the show notes for you. So just kind of like letting people know that I think would be helpful. That's a great, of course, of course, you would have such a good eloquent way to yeah, really take that on. So I think that's really important. It's actually helpful because I have some podcasts in the, you know, back that have been recorded that haven't yeah, been yeah. released. And that's actually part of what I want to, you know, decide of like how to do that. So I think those are great recommendations kind of handling that and providing resources to go deeper for people that you know, want to explore. Yeah. So I think if you always come at it from the viewpoint of how can I make this experience on my show, the best, the clearest, the most concise, the most educational for my listener, 
you know, because it's almost like you're the steward of the show. You're the host, you're the manager, you're the editor, you're the marketing guy, you're the, yes. you're the producer, but so it's all on you, but also you can also make those calls. And, you know, I think if, if every podcast host would think about, you know, what's the best experience at the end of the day for my listener so that they're not confused because this is your show at the end of the day. So you are the, you know, the, the leader of this specific podcast. And honestly, your, whatever your viewpoints are, you know, that's why you're doing it because you're scratching your own itch and you've done enough homework to feel like you can speak intelligently about this topic. And so feeling that, you, you know, the confidence to say, this is my show, you know, and, and it may be different. If you want to speak something differently, then start your own show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so true. So true. Exactly. And I do think so many of these things do get worked out too in the process of doing. It's just, it's, yeah, you make a great point because once you start building that level of confidence, so much of that does come from just putting in the reps and then you can absolutely lean into that authority, which is also responsibility for people are showing up yeah. and it's your you know title, your name attached to that. You don't want to be spouting off things that are not, you know, like accurate. <laughs> so yeah, a couple of questions as we wrap up. Um, what's the most misunderstood thing about you? Oh, interesting. I would say... I think I'm just a bit of a confusing person in some ways, just because, you know, I've got the blonde hair, smile a lot, but then I'm just a big nerd, I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and so it can be very confusing. And then I think it also from kind of a perspective around this topic, I think it because I am out of the woods with the difficulties with my sleep. And of course, I still continue to really enjoy further optimizing it. But I'm, you know, I think sometimes it can be challenging because there's been a like kind of happy ending to things, not always being able to really illustrate just how challenging that period was for me. Yeah. And so I think I'm going to continue to work on how to better explain just how scary of a time it really was and um, better articulating that and then to ensure that I still, you know, because part of my commitment is having that relatability with people and like a zero judgment zone on what they're at with their sleep because, you know, I was doing all the things and and more that to, to not to do to help improve your sleep. So I, you know, I think with that, that it can create some nice accountability because I, like I've really been there and so many of the levels that they're dealing with. Yes, it's something that I can't resist when we start chatting about the podcast and just like the marketing hat kicks in and then just like always coming up with like interesting ideas. But something that I've implemented recently is I've updated the email sequence that people get when they sign up for the lead magnet. And it was something that my partner reminded me of because she's going through a course. And instead of in the beginning, I would just add value by saying, hey, here's some tools that I like and just let be that let that be the first introduction to me. I think what I've discovered is a bit more valuable is to tell my origin story first. And so yeah. the first four emails that people get after they sign up for my lead magnet is like how I ended up starting a podcast called Podcast Junkies and, and why I, I did it. That's great. And what I do is I, I, I tell people in that when they first get the lead magnet, I'm like, okay, this is what's going to happen because what they always tell you to do is just like guide people on, on, into like the journey, what, what they're about to experience. And so it's just like, you know, email delivery 101, but basically, okay, this is what's going to happen. In one day, you're going to get an email and this is the subject line and this is going to say, and it's my origin story. And then just, they, so then when they see it, 
you know, I even told them, look, I'm going to put a headphone and the emoji in the subject line. So when you see it, you'll know that's from me. So just kind of from a branding perspective, you know, you can put the Z's or something like that. <laughs> something so yes. people can just kind of like every little thing you can do to stand out in emails. And then I sort of leave a little bit of a cliffhanger. So I tell a story, but I kind of, you know, how the, I, it's a chapter and I'm like, okay. And then when I, I jumped on the plane and then I realized that when I arrived, it was going to be my life would be changed. And I would just like end it like that. And then people were like, oh, like <laughs> tune in to the next yes. email and I'll, tell you, and I'll tell you what happened. And so you just build up that little anticipation. So it just kind of, but all around the origin story, because I think to your point, people, they when they see you from like afar, they're like, oh, Molly's got it together. Like she's figured this out. She's like sleep queen. Like, you know, like <laughs> she has no problems. Yeah. And so I think the more, and, and not taking it for granted that because you've told the story once that everyone has heard it. I just continuing to tell people, I think it makes, continues to make you relatable. Yeah. And I think it's been an interesting time too. Like I'm really grateful for the podcast platform because so many people that have come my way right now, so much of it has been organic traffic from listening from when I've been on another podcast. And, you know, basically we never get more than a few minutes in usually before getting an opportunity to tell that story. So they're getting their first kind of connection with me has often been from that, from understanding that. And so that's been a wonderful thing. But as things are beginning to grow, it's not always guaranteed that people are coming in from that vantage point. And so absolutely as going into the new year, now that we're going to have a lot more scalable kind of elements and ads and all kinds of things. And it will absolutely become more necessary to lead with that story. So I agree with that. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? I have changed my mind about, I mean, maybe this is not connected to in the, in the realm of podcasting. And it, no, it's open. Anything. Anything. Okay. I think I'm, you know, these last few years have been a really interesting time around, particularly as being digital nomads for the past like three and a half years now, learning a lot about what's important to me and kind of becoming more and more minimalist and really ensuring that we're, you know, kind of not accumulating too much so that we can continue to have like freedom, just, you know, travel. But of course, with COVID, it's been an interesting time because I've actually really enjoyed being more grounded too yeah, uh, yeah. during this time and having my routines and just like so boring Betty, but I've been really enjoying it. So, so one of the things I think I'm starting to change my mind about or explore more is what could life look like if, you know, I don't know if you've seen Yellowstone or like any of those shows, right? With the beautiful shots of Montana or yeah. some of these just beautiful places in nature. I actually grew up in Maine, so like in the very middle of nowhere woods. So for me, like it's, I, for so much of my life, I thought that that was not what I wanted, but now it's really tapping into having some of that peace, being in nature, but also the juxtaposition of still access to the fun and the the hustle and bustle. So playing with that, really looking at really re-exploring what I want my life to look like and and the environment I want to be surrounded in. So we're planning to do a bit of a buffet kind of approach <laughs> of exploring America. Yeah. And yeah. Um, also presumably if, if Canada will have us looking into a little bit of Canada and Vancouver. And so some of these beautiful places and see um, if those might be of interest. Yeah. RV style? No, I think we're actually looking, my uh, boyfriend's obsessed with getting a Tesla. And so he wants to, you know, have it self-drive and all of that sort of thing, but probably more kind of stay in a place for a couple months, yeah. thinking of checking out Austin, I think first. Oh, yeah. So yeah, kind of exploring. Yeah. I think everyone's preconceived notions about what 
they were happy with and where they chose to live have sort of been thrown up in the air. Like even me, like I have yeah. a passion for New York City and big cities and now they don't seem like to be like the best place <laughs> or the safest place, which is kind of sad. But I yeah. think as with all things, like the pace of change and, and just seeing the exodus of people from like places like New York City to, you know, and, and what, what has happened with COVID has been really interesting to watch. So I think it it's all going to be changing pretty dramatically. In, in the next year or two. Yes, absolutely. So as we wrap up, where's the best place for folks to stay connected with you and to learn more about what you're working on? So the best place is, so sleepisaskill.com acts as this great kind of bucket for all the things. So one, you can get that downloadable PDF, sign up for the intense, you know, weekly newsletter, all things sleep, and as well as take a sleep assessment and get, you know, real life people responding back on kind of a series of things around your sleep. And then also you can sign up to listen to more of the podcast and all kinds of different episodes around sleep optimization. We have online training courses to further go down the rabbit hole on that and learn more as well about different resources that are worth the investment and you know maybe some that aren't so that you can kind of be informed on this area and during a time when sleep tech is kind of booming there's a lot that we can dive into and explore and experiment with very cool so we'll make sure we have all those resources in the show notes as always and so molly thank you so much for uh, making time to come on and sharing your story i think it's going to be inspirational for folks for a wide variety of reasons and i'm, and I'm glad we got we had that opportunity to connect oh well thank you so much i'm so grateful for just your connection and your leadership and this topic of you know you really know your stuff on podcasting and then yeah and also how to continue to be innovative and try new things and you know i'm always learning new resources from you and so it continues to be a, just a fun thing to explore so thank you for having me on i really appreciate it so thanks again to molly for coming on the show much appreciated as always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 236. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Don't forget to check out our sponsor Focusrite in their awesome line of gear, specifically the Scarlet 2i2. Find more information at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite. Tune in next week for my conversation with Ariel Niesenblatt. She's the creator of the Earbuds newsletter. She is one of the co-founders of the Outlier Podcast Festival. And most recently, she's now the community manager at Squadcast. Ariel is also a longtime friend. We go back to days in Los Angeles and we talk about all that and more. So make sure you tune in next week for that very fun trip down memory lane. If you made it this far, no doubt you're waiting for the retention hashtag. Let's go with Molly Sleeps, one word, M-O-L-L-I-E Sleeps. And you can tag Molly at sleep is a skill and us at podcast underscore junkies. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Love you guys and gals. Talk to you next week.